I've entitled this message, Looking Back and Looking Ahead. Our text is going to be from Ezekiel chapter 21, verses 26 and 27. It has everything to do with the opening song, Crown Him, Lord of Lord and King of Kings, that first song we sang this morning. So, Ezekiel 21, verse 26, thus says the Lord God, remove the turban and take off the crown. Nothing shall remain the same. Exalt the lowly, base the exalted, overthrown, overthrown. I will make it overthrown. It shall be no longer until he comes whose right it is, and I will give it to him. Ezekiel 21 is one of the most important chapters of the Bible. And in Ezekiel, it is making it very clear that the king of Babylon is going to remove the last king, and I'm going to be putting up the kings in just a moment on the screen, the last king of the Davidic line until Messiah comes. So this is a major verse making a major statement that Israel is going to have so many kings, and basically the Lord is saying, enough already, enough, enough, enough. I've had enough. And there's going to be no more kings in the Davidic line until the one who is worthy to take it, and I'm going to give it to him. So it is a reference and a prophecy of the coming of of the Lord when he will reign as Lord of Lords and King of Kings during the millennial reign, but then into um, all of eternity. I need you to turn back to, um, set this up, to go back to chapter 20. 20 through 24 is a continuing thought. Jerusalem has not yet fallen, but by the time we get to chapter 23, King Nebuchadnezzar will lay siege to the city and um, Jerusalem is going to fall. The motive of these elders that come to Ezekiel, I'm not quite sure why they came. Maybe some of, some of it is starting to sink in. Um, I really don't know. Let's just read the first four verses. It says, it came to pass in the seventh year and the fifth month and the tenth day of the month that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, thus says the Lord God, have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of you. You will judge them, son of man. Will you judge them? Then make known to them the abomination of their fathers. Now, we went through this on Wednesday. And from here to the rest of the chapter, basically what you're reviewing is the history of the nation of Israel. And he's saying, I'm not going to talk. Your motive for even being here is in question. And he said, "It's, it's because of your sins and what the rest of this chapter is. is a very lengthy chapter, 50 verses long. He just recites to them how he delivered them out of Egypt. But they became even more worse than the Hittites and the Canaanites and the seven tribes that inhabited the land. It's interesting to me that the timing, timing is gonna be something we talked about this morning. It says when the fullness of their iniquity came in, then God allowed Israel to come in at Jericho and take the country over. So there's, it's almost like levels. 
And the Lord finally gets to the point where he says, enough. Overthrown, overthrown, overthrown. I've had it. No more. And um, it's a pattern. We see it also in Genesis. It says that the Lord would no longer strive with the spirit of man because the thoughts of their heart were only evil continually. Again, implying that the patience of the Lord and uh, giving them time, giving them time, but there comes a time where you cross the line and he says enough. And that's our text this morning. And so all of chapter 20 is important because he's reciting just how bad they were. Commit, committing fornication and abomination on the high places. Sacrificing their own children. And um, he would send Jeremiah and he would send Ezekiel and he'd send Isaiah and, and warn them But he said, you simply would not listen. And so by the time we we look at our text here this morning, look at 21 verse 6, the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel. And he says, as we study through Ezekiel, you'll know that it's filled with metaphors and sort of um, um, little skits that Ezekiel puts on. Now he's going to put on another one here to describe the heart of the Lord, picking it up in verse six. This is what the Lord wants Ezekiel to do. He says, sigh therefore, son of man, with with a breaking heart and sigh with bitterness before their eyes. In other words, go before the people go, oh man, why won't you listen? And do it with a genuine broken heart. Laced in between all the judgments, there's this glimmer of hope that if you'll only go back, if you'll only turn back, and if you'll only stop these things. He says, I will preserve you the same way I preserved Hezekiah when King Sennacherib came and tried to take um, the southern tribes when Hezekiah was king. He says, I can do that, but they wouldn't. And so he, he puts on this last dramatic, he talks about clapping his hands and getting their attention. He says, but show them that in your heart you're grieved. And um, the Lord, as it says, is, he takes no pleasure in judging the unrighteous. He's not willing that any should perish. He finds no pleasure in that at all. What he wants to do is people to man up and, and just say, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. I repent, and he'll forgive. And so that brings us to, um, as we go through the history here, um, it's interesting, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put something, I'm gonna put a timeline. It's very, very basic and it's very, very simple up on the screen right now. And just point out, I mentioned that the Lord seems to go in increments. And uh, I could really get involved in this because there are many different time cycles in the Bible. Um, uh, this timeline that you're looking at here, I bring up because I see a, a cycle of 70s as we make our way through the scriptures, there's cycles of 490, there's different time cycles that are there. But I am firmly persuaded that as the Lord created um, the earth in six days and rested on the seventh, I believe his plan um, for us before we enter the kingdom age, we will go through 6,000 years. Now, as you look at this, the nation of Israel inherits the land after 25, 20 years. You can use uh, Genesis 11, and um, you can actually trace it back to the time 
that Adam was born, and you can go from there. And um, we find that Israel becomes a nation seven times 360. Then you take 70 jubileers. Well, 70 is an interesting number to me in the scriptures. Why? How many years are, gonna, are they going to spend in captivity? Somebody tell me. 70 years. How long is a person's life according to the Bible? Three score and 10 equals what? 70 years. The captivity is 70 years. Now Israel, interestingly enough, will be 70 years as it became a nation next year. They became a nation in 1948. And, and uh, in 2018, they will have been there 70 years. Now, that's, I'm not saying anything except I find that extremely interesting. And I, I do believe that the Lord works on a cycle. And then he starts over. Um, there's seven days in a week. And then tomorrow is Monday and we start over again. Seven, um, Judy and I were watching the sound of, sound of Music and she's teaching the, uh, the Van Trapp family singers how to sing Do Re Mi. <laughs> and so she lays it out. Well, after you get Do Re Mi, feels Do Re Mi, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Do Re Mi, Fa So La Ti. And then what? You start over. There's seven. And so there's a completion. Um, uh, seven is the number of completion. It's interesting that the number for Jesus is the number of eight. But again, I could get way too sidetracked on um, gametria and the study of numbers. But here, um, we find that for 70 years, they're going to be in captivity. And that has not happened as you're looking at chapter 21. But what has happened is the Lord said, enough. He says, here's your history. And you go back to Genesis 12 when God called Abraham. So from Abraham, um, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the 12 tribes, of course. And then uh, raising up the 400 years in captivity and Moses and the promised land. The next chart that, that I want to put up is the kings of Israel. Now remember... Saul was their first king. And here again, I see a cycle. Saul reigned for 40 years. Then David reigned for 40 years. And then his son Solomon, he reigned for 40 years. So I see a cycle there. But after Solomon, there was a split. And you have the northern 10 tribes, and you have the southern um, two, Benjamin and Judah. What I want to point out here is when we're talking about the history and why the Lord said enough, enough, enough is because every one of, of these kings of Israel, whenever they're brought up in scripture, you're reading the kings or chronicles, it says this about the kings of Israel. They did evil in the sight of the Lord after the sins of their father Jeroboam. Every single one of them. There's 19 of them and not one good one. And so... You look at the kings of Judah, there's 20. And of the 20, there are eight that are righteous. And Hezekiah happened to be one of them. And because he called on the Lord when their enemies were knocking at their front door, and Babylon is knocking at at Jerusalem's front door right now, instead of repenting, even at this last time, the elders come. I wonder, why do they come? Did they say, "Is, is it too late? Can we do anything? And the Lord basically says, yeah, it is too late. Your, your history. 
and I, you would not repent. So as we look at this up on the screen, um, these are the list of the kings. If you go down to the very last one, Zedekiah, he is the one, and he will be the last one. Zedekiah was the last king of the line of David, and there's not going to be any more until, and here's this great prophecy, until the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the song we sang, crown him with many crowns. And it was great. I didn't ask Eric to, to do that one, but he figured it out on, on his own. And it was a perfect song to uh, be played this morning. So basically, chapter 20 is recounting the, the history. And he is saying, I've strived with you. I've been patient with you. And yet you would not turn back to me. Therefore, you will spend the next 70 years in captivity. And um, that's exactly what is about to happen in, um, when we get to chapter 25. Overthrown, overthrown until he comes, and that would be the Lord himself. They will return after they've spent their time. The very first verse of Daniel chapter 9, Daniel knows that the seven years is up. Daniel was the first one to go in the first group. He's been there for the full 70 years. So now we're looking back a little bit from Daniel's perspective. And he said, Lord, 70 years is up. He said, I understood because I was reading the prophet Jeremiah that 70 years are determined upon your people and the holy city. He says, time's up. It's time to go home. So he prays what they should have prayed, this beautiful prayer of heartfelt repentance. He says, Lord, you were right. We were wrong. We did not keep your statutes. We did not keep your ways. We deserved all of this. But yet you said after 70 years, we could go home. Well, you know the story. In the middle of his prayer, Gabriel shows up. And he reveals to him much more information than just when do we get to go home. Um, When they did get to go home, now we're talking about the books of of uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, Jezebel, Jezebel, <laughs> oh man, um, Zerubbabel will be instrumental. As uh, there's less than fifty thousand, they 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 became acclimated to Babylon, and it, it was living on the high life, and they didn't want to go back to ruins, and so less than fifty thousand people went back with the first. Uh, movement back and it broke Nehemiah's heart and he's the one that made the plea in Nehemiah chapter 2 to Ahasuerus or Xerxes I get the two mixed up and he says he requested money authority to go back and to rebuild the walls and the streets and the temple in Jerusalem so that's basically the book of, of Nehemiah Malachi is also a contemporary. Now, Malachi is the last book in the New Testament. And bear with me because I'm just laying a little foundation work to make my point here this morning. But let's turn to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, chapter 4. He's a contemporary. The year is about 425 B.C., so 400 years before John the Baptist is going to show up on the scene Malachi talks about this guy 
four, over 400 years before he's gonna show up. But this is how the Old Testament ends. Chapter four, verse five. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. There's a two-hour Bible study in these verses right here and tying it into the New Testament and Revelation chapter 11. It is what we call a two-fold prophecy because it is clearly about John the Baptist, but it's clearly also about Elijah. Now, when the Pharisees came to John when he was preaching down by the Jordan, they said, hey, are you Elijah? That was the first question they asked him. And why would they ask the question? Because that's the last thing the Old Testament said, that he would send Elijah. And he says, no. But yet, Jesus, when talking to his disciples, he says, if you guys can wrap your head around this, John the Baptist is really Elijah the prophet. Because the spirit that rested upon Elijah also rests upon John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of course, had one mission. And between this book right here, verse 6 of chapter 4, before you get to Matthew chapter 1, there's 400 years that go by. We call them the 400 silent years. A lot happened during that time. There was a Maccabean revolt. There was a type of foreshadowing the abomination of desolation in about 164 uh, B.C. when Antioch Epiphanes goes into the temple and offers um, a, a pig on the altar just, just to um, uh, despise uh, Israel. And it was sort of a foreshadowing of what was going to be, a lot of foreshadowing. This same Elijah is going to end up in Revelation chapter 11 as one of the two witnesses. So as we bring it into the history of looking back, all of this for us is looking back. And when they ask who John was, he just says, look, I'm just the voice. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Get ready, make straight, for the Lord is coming. And... Um, the kingdom has arrived, of course, a, a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the Lord did come, and when he was introduced, he was 30 years old at that time. He ministered, he had no place to lay his head. He says, foxes have um, holes and birds have nests, but the son of man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Uh, he was not wealthy, he had no money. And um, he looked for his provision from the Lord, and for three years he took 12 men, and he walked with them, and he taught them. Yesterday in men's prayer, we're in Luke chapter 18, and it's during that time when he was still walking with his disciples, and he told them straight out. He said, the Son of Man, we're going to Jerusalem, and, and there Jesus said to his disciples, they will scourge me and put me to death and on the third day, they will rise again. I mean, he told them straight out what was about to happen. It went right over their head. Because the next thing that they're doing is arguing about, Lord, we know you're the Messiah. We know the kingdom has come. John the Baptist said so. So can John sit on your right hand and James sit on your left hand? And they were just setting themselves up. And what the Lord told them went over, over their head. 
Well, a lot of applications here today, gang. There's so much happening in the world in the world today that is so prophetically important, I can't even begin to tell you. Just what's happened in the last week and what's about to happen in the next two weeks. And yet 90% of the world doesn't have a clue of what's shaking right now and what's really coming down. Why? They're not wise like Daniel. Daniel studied the scriptures. He studied Jeremiah. Oh, why do you go through those old dusty books in the Old Testament? You bore people to tears with Jeremiah and Ezekiel. No, it's some of the richest stuff in the Bible when you start putting all the pieces together. And what happens is you get your mind blown away and go, wow, the word of God. When Jesus said the volume of the book is about me, Isaiah, Ezekiel 21, verse 26, take away those crowns from those kings until I give it to the one who's worthy of it. It's all about Jesus. And to dig out these treasures, what it does, I don't know about you, but it just increased my faith all the more that when the Lord says he's going to do something, when he says, thus says the Lord, guess what? It's going to happen. And we read that in men's prayer yesterday, to the jot and to the tittle. It, it can't be undone. You can't take anything out of this book. And we need all the book. That's a good place for an amen. We need the whole book. Now, just as Ezekiel foretold, this was his whole ministry, his first exile into Babylon, Now, in Jesus' time, Jesus foretells the destruction of Jerusalem again. They would go into the world, there would be another worldwide captivity, but he didn't say for 70 years. Uh, Israel would become desolate. It was extremely fertile at this time, and it was full of forest. And yet, when, uh, when they left, it became desolate. It became Swamp. It became wilderness. It became desert. One of the things we did discover in um, last Wednesday night is south of Beersheba was all forests. Well, there's nothing south of Beersheba if you've been to Israel. Nothing as barren as you can possibly get to. You get to a lot. And then you have there um, the Red Sea. Now, as far as knowing the signs and the times, um, Ezekiel and Jeremiah told them it would be after 70 years. Well, do we have any indicators that would give us the times of the signs when the Lord would come again, and in particular, when Israel would be allowed to come back? The answer is yes. You need to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Pastor Chuck put a video out. Some of this is being remastered because uh, some of the guys have gotten away from some of the major fundamental um, teachings of the nation of Israel and its significance in the last days. If you want to see a modern-day miracle, you have Israel. So the question that is posed to Jesus in Matthew 24 is, Lord, tell us when you're coming back. And what will be the sign? Singular. Singular sign. But he gives signs. He says there will be wars and famines, pestilences, and uh, more than anything else, false teaching and false doctrine. But that's, that's plural. Those are signs. But what is the, the sign? So the parable of the fig tree, Chuck made a movie about it. And uh, they're re-editing it right now and trying to bring it up to date. The same way we do with some of the old movies and make it more digitally correct. But pick it up in verse 32. This is the parable of the fig tree. 
He says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, then you know that summer is near. And so you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the very door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation. Now, we, could, we don't know what a generation is. We just, I just quoted that man's life is three score and ten. That could be a generation. Um, Israel was in captivity, it, it says, for um, four generations. Well, that's a hundred years. So I can't be dogmatic about this. But he says in verse 34, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. The generation that sees the fig tree, always emblematic of Israel, when it brings forth and buds again. Well, when Israel came back, and what every tour guide will tell you, is they'll, they'll show you the sycamore and cypress trees that they bring in to drain the swamps. And how the um, Zionist movement started, kibbutzes were raised up, and they took this swamp and desert and they began to plant trees. And they began to drain the swamps. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter, we'll be there in a couple of weeks, but I want to go there this morning. Ezekiel chapter 35. Ezekiel 35. When it buds again, well, it hasn't budded since 70 AD when we were in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. There's some really, really old, ancient olive trees. And some people say they were there when Jesus was there. Well, that's not true. Because um, it's clearly recorded that all the trees were cut down around Jerusalem and the fields were were sown with salt to kill everything. So as the oldest they, they could be would be after that period of time when they came back and returned. They were not, um, not returned from that captivity, but from um, when the Romans came in. Let's pick it up in chapter, 30, 30, chapter 36, I guess it is. Picking it up in verse 35. 36, 35 and 36, both are prophecies about the regathering of the people um, back into the land. And so it says in 35, and so they will say, the land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, And I, the Lord, will do it. For thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock. I read just this morning, 27,000 immigrants came to Israel this last year in 2016. That just popped in my head because of what I was reading earlier this morning. Like a flock offered as a holy sacrifice, like the flock of Jerusalem over its feast days, so shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men, and then they shall know 
that I am the Lord. Well, gang, either this happened or it didn't. The question is, did it happen? In May 48, May of 1948, David Ben-Gurion declared Israel, Israel. And then it began to flourish, and they're the fourth producers of fruit in the world today, little Israel. They, they, they send tulips to Holland in the wintertime. And uh, it's the, the reforestation that had, takes place. Um, for a Christmas present, somebody sent me a card and says, I, I planted a tree for you in Israel in your name. And I thought, wow, that's a great Christmas present. <laughs> and, but that's been going on. What's my point? Well, either the scriptures that Ezekiel is talking about is here. When the fig tree blossoms, when Israel comes back, it will have been desolate, stone, nothing. And then all of a sudden, bam, it blooms into something like the Garden of Eden. Fourth largest producer of fruit in the world, beating California. I don't know if it's beating California, but top four is pretty high. And so it's flourished, but the important thing to catch here is the generation that sees it happen is going to see the fulfillment of all things. The question is, how long is a generation? Answer is, I don't know. And, um, but 70 is an interesting number, as, as I, think, I think this through. Okay, all of this is looking back. Everything we've gone so far, I'm entitled this this morning, Looking Back and Looking Ahead. And all I have to say is God's word is spot on. It means what it says, it says what it means, and if he says it, it's going to happen. Another good place for an amen. Now, if I have confidence in that looking back, then I can have confidence in what he says for 2017, which is the second part of my message this morning. Is there anything on the horizon that would indicate that Ezekiel 38, which is the next two chapters after 37, is the major war that we've talked about for many many years. Okay, all of this is looking back. Now let's see what God's word says about looking ahead after they are back in the land. They've been back in the land for 69 years. Turn with me to the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. Zechariah is on page 957. It may make it easy for you to find. And here's a prophecy concerning Jerusalem in the last days. It says, the burden, I'm in chapter 12 of Zechariah, reading verses 1 and 2 and 3. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel, thus says the Lord, who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth, and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness or trembling to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it will happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people and all who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. So here's a prophecy that's indicating that if it's as late as the parable of the fig tree would indicate, then it would only make common sense to me that as I look at the Middle East, 
there should be things happening and the primary target of topic would be Israel and Jerusalem in particular. So the question is, do we see that happening? Well, let me just tell you what happened last Friday, for those of you who don't know. While thousands are being massacred uh, in Syria, the UN Security Council wasted valuable time and efforts condemning the democratic state of Israel for building homes in a historic Jewish homeland. Last Friday, December 23rd, was a dark day for the United Nations Security Council as they adopted Resolution 2334, which condemned Israel for building the land of Israel and Jerusalem. This was the height of hypocrisy. While thousands are being massacred, you know how many? It's not thousands. A half of million people have died ever since Assad decided that he was going to have nothing other than himself in power in Syria. So actually as hundreds of thousands are being massacred in Syria, the Security Council wasted valuable time and efforts condemning the democratic state of Israel for building homes in historic homelands for the Jewish people. And we travel through there all the time. And uh, the uh, Arab people that live in Samaria and Judah are well taken care of and provided for. And, um, and yet, that's the major issue that the UN has made this new resolution. Of the, all the resolutions, over 200 times the UN has resolutions condemning Israel, and they've condemned Syria eight times with what's happening in the Middle East. When it came time for us to vote this resolution, the United States, without exception, has always been a friend of Israel, a supporter of Israel, and has always voted when these amendments came up, they would veto it, or she just say, no, not this time. This time, when it came for the United States to vote, Obama abstained. And by abstaining, it wasn't vetoed. Therefore, it was passed all because of, and here's where it gets dicey, I don't have the proof yet, but I'll have it next week, <laughs> and that is um, Trump got a phone call from Benjamin Netanyahu. He says, I have evidence, and I can prove that it was Obama and his administration that actually are the one that put this resolution on the floor, and he says he can prove it. I believe Bibi. I don't believe Obama. And as we watch this unfold, what I just told you was phase one. This was just phase one. Today is January 1, 2017. Phase two is going to happen two weeks from tomorrow. On January 15th, five days before Obama leaves office, his last act, his last thing that he's going to do He's called for 70 different countries to gather in Paris, France for an unprecedented global conference. The stated goal of this conference is to promote a two-state solution as a way that lasting peace will be brought to the Middle East. Uh, Guess who's not invited? Israel. Five days before he leaves office. Now, I've always known what his true colors were. But if there were any, any doubts in his mind where he stands 
with the nation of Israel and its actual existence, where Jer- Zechariah says, behold, the issue in the last days is I'm gonna make Jerusalem a trembling cup, even though all the nations come together and are against it. And then we have Ezekiel 38 happening. Now, if the Bible predicts this, and I look at what's happening, as we look ahead now to 2017, I mean, we're two weeks into 2017, and when the Lord says when, uh, concerning his coming, it says it'll be like a woman having a baby. It'll be birth pains, but once they start, no turning back. Trump is left with a real big problem because now he's got the nations of the world already. There's a resolution for a two-state issue, and uh, Israel really doesn't have any cards to play with this. So as I look at 2017, do we see things getting better for Israel or worse? Nobody's talking about Aleppo. Aleppo is, there's genocide being committed by Russia, Iran, and Syria. Gang, these are the three main names in Ezekiel 38. And if you don't see the, these things coming together, like, like Ezekiel, when I, when I see this, you know what I do? I do what Ezekiel did. <sighs> Where they show pictures of innocent women and children. They, their, their house is completely gutted and burned out. They don't care. There's absolutely no concern for human life whatsoever. Just take Aleppo. And so like Ezekiel, I sigh brokenhearted as we watch these atrocities take place. If the stage is set for Ezekiel 38 war, my question is, how late is it? And what does God's word have to say to us uh, and what it would look like in the last days? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. So let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 3. What it would look like in the last days as we look ahead and what to expect. Verse 1 of chapter 3, but know this, in the last days perilous times will come. Um, I heard on the news coming here this morning, 39 killed, 70 injured in... Istanbul. That was the news coming this morning. Times Square made it through through last night, but um, uh, they're, they're picking their soft targets where they can, and that's only going to get worse. Perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemy, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. From such people turn aside. If you look at chapter um, 4, 1 through 5, what the Lord says is going to happen, he gives us, Paul gives us charge to his young um, protege, Timothy, and he says, I charge you, Timothy, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. In season, out of season. I quoted that on Wednesday night when I couldn't talk. <laughs> Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why? Because the time's gonna come when they won't endure sound doctrine. No, don't teach through the whole Bible. 
you know, it's, you know, people, they want an abbreviated version. They want it short and sweet and make it positive. And please don't say anything negative to make newcomers feel uncomfortable. Well, you can do that. You won't be telling them the truth. You'll be lying and misrepresenting the very word of God. For they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn away from the truth and turn aside to fables. But you, now this is a word to us, be watchful. For what? For the signs of the times. In all things, endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Well, that's not very encouraging, Dwight. You know, that you're, you're painting a picture here like things are going to get worse instead of better. Yeah, if you got that this morning, you got the message. I want to put something up on the screen. Because the megachurches in our country today, that's not in their philosophy of ministry. The philosophy of ministry is to do, do exactly what we just read. Tell the people what they want to hear. Make it about them. My Bible says the Bible's not about me. You know that? My Bible says the volume of the book is about Jesus. And he's the only one righteous, and he's the only one who's going to get the crown. And as far as my crown, when I get one, I, I read that I'm going to throw it at his feet because that's where it should be. So as, as we look at um, the false teachers that Jesus warned about four times in Matthew chapter 24, I want to expose a prominent doctrine and some prominent names. And um, you know, in theological terms, we call it by three different names. We call it dominionism. We call it reconstructionism. Or the kingdom now, history. And it, this goes back to Calvinism. Interestingly enough, it spread through John Rushdorn. And then it was followed by C. Peter Wagner. He died this year. Very instrumental, came out of uh, Fuller. Fuller's been off the wall for many, many years now, but he was part of it. Um, The idea of dominionism, if I would sum it up, is simply this. Before Jesus can return, that the church will Christianize the world And when the world has become Christian, then the Lord will come and claim his kingdom. Now, anybody with any common sense looks out there and we go, it's not Christianity that's doing that right now. It's Islam that's doing that, either by jihad or assimilation. And it doesn't matter to them. Lying is a non-issue. They'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Where it's permeated into our society It spread through the seven mountains of culture, the spiritual warfare movement of the 90s, the latter rain movement, the apostolic movement, the vineyards, the Kansas City prophets, and IHOP. The leaders in dominionism, a couple of them are dead, Bob Jones is dead now, Mike Bickle heads up IHOP down in Kansas City, Paul Kane. This next one I want to spend a little time on because it's going to be a shocker for some of you. David Barton from Wall Builders. He's a dominionist. He believes, along with the other big name here, Pat Robertson, that it is the goal of the church. Why do you think Robertson ran for president uh, when he did? That was his mentality. We're going to Christianize the world through the moral majority. Well, the majority in America is no longer moral. (laughs) 
And then there's Chuck Price, Rick Joyner, and Bill Johnson, one of the worst churches in the country in Bethel, um, California. Their, their mindset is not what we're teaching this morning, that it's gonna be perilous times, departure from sound doctrine, gravitating towards people who will tell us what we wanna hear and make us feel uh, comfy cozy. But to be honest, Jesus said just the opposite. Hang in there till the end. Don't deny the faith. So as we begin to wind this up this morning, I wanted to expose, in case you haven't heard those terms before, it's a large part in a belief. Um, It motivates many missionaries, and don't get me wrong. Um, We're leaving for Haiti a week from, uh, a week from next, not this Monday, but next Monday. We have a team going down and um, Basti has been just sending us pictures. I just cannot believe what the Lord has done in rural Haiti. And we'll show you pictures. We've got a team of about six or eight going from here. But we have, um, we're, we're working together with other Calvaries, and we're going to have a week celebration of dedicating what the Lord has done in Carnay. And it's, I saw some pictures yesterday that just blew my mind. How I haven't been there because... I was supposed to go last year, but if you remember, they had the, the political elections and they closed everything down. So it's the first time I haven't been there every year for many years. But as we close this morning, um, words of encouragement in light of all this, what does God's word tell us to do in these times right now? Well, let's turn to Hebrews, book of Hebrews chapter 10. Everybody at least thinks about New Year's resolutions. And maybe you'll make some and maybe you won't. But I, my, my prayer this morning is, as a result of the times we live in, that we don't... Let me give you a new way of looking at New Year's resolutions. And it falls under the, the umbrella of not my will be done, but thy will be done. This is what I'm going to commit to you this year, Lord, when we should be saying, Lord, what do you want me to commit to you? Well, his word has already answered that for us because in chapter 10, verse 22, it says, let's draw near, near to the Lord this year with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let me just stop here. One of the dangers in the last times is the apostasy. And um, Jesus told his disciples in that same chapter, he said, remember Lot's wife. What did she do? She looked back and she went back. There's gonna be the temptation here for some of you just to give up. I'm too busy. I got too many things to do. And I just don't have time to give the Lord the time that he's asking for. Well, now we're going to see who's Lord of your life right here. Don't look back. And our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. For he has promised. He's faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Some people's manner is we don't need to be part of a local body. 
The Bible says just the opposite. It says, assemble ourselves together. And that's Acts chapter two. This is the outline of the early church. They, um, they had the apostles' doctrine. They had fellowship and um, a prayer. And um, fourth one is skipping me right now. <laughs> and the ma- as the manner of some is. I take issue for those who think they can be lone rangers and not, not be strengthened. I need you and you need me. Good place for an amen. You need each other. The hand can't say to the body, I have no need of you. You're just a hand and I'm just a foot. And no, that's not how it works. And the perfect example of that is old Calvary of Appleton. You see me up here, but you don't know the many, 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 many people that it takes behind the scenes that are servants running around just so that we can pull this off. And uh, we should be grateful for it. The, the manner, as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another so much more, and it says what? As you see the day approaching. All right, I have a simple question. If Israel's the focal point of the last days, according to Zechariah, a cup of trembling, and I just have a common sense question, do we see anything in the world pointing towards the Middle East? Oh yeah, major resolution last Friday and a bigger one in two weeks. That's just two, three weeks period of time gain. And it's all pointed and it's all about Israel. That is a sign as I see the day approaching. What am I supposed to do as I see the day approaching? Not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And here's where, here's where the rubber meets the road. Every year, it gets quicker and quicker, busier and busier. Amen? Being honest? And uh, time, we got our cutter corners somewhere. And you're going to have to be honest where your priorities are going to be. Are you going to seek first the kingdom of heaven? And um, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be also. Always something biding for our time and our heart. And the question is, the word is clear that as we see the day approaching, we're not to do it less and less. And uh, we're to do it more and more. So as you're planning ahead and thinking about 2017, let's flip over to 1 Thessalonians 5 here. That's getting close to winding things up. Uh Uh-oh, Pastor Dwight said getting close to winding things up. That means 20 minutes for sure. 1 Thessalonians 5. And I'm going to read all 11 verses because it pertains to you and me in the times in which we live. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say there's going to be a peace conference in Paris in January 15th, oh, no, no, that's not quite what it says. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as a labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that day should overtake you as a thief. I hope you really grasp this and understand it. But you know that the majority of the church doesn't have a clue? Because they don't teach the Bible. They teach topical Bible studies. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let's watch and be sober. 
For those who are asleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us be of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope and salvation. Why? For God has not pointed us to what? Wrath. That's another way of saying the great tribulation. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, scare one another to death with these words. No. And that's what some people say. What do you guys talk about that doom and gloom stuff? Don't you realize you're scaring people? No, just the opposite. When you have the full picture, God's got a plan. He's still on the throne. He knows how to deliver the righteous out of judgment, just like he did with Noah, just like he did with Lot. He's going to do for his bride. You think he's going to take his bride on a honeymoon into the great tribulation? That, that, uh, that upsets me because it, it's not a doctrinal issue now. It's the very nature of my Savior, my bridegroom. No, 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 no. Therefore, comfort one another and edify one another just as you are so, so doing. Last one, John chapter 14. Something heavy was going to come down and the disciples weren't ready for it. And the Lord know they weren't ready for it. So this chapter is preparing them for what's about to happen. Because he's, he's going and they're not quite aware of it yet. So he says, let not your heart be troubled. 14.1, you believe in God, believe also in me. You see, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And wherever I go, you know, in the way you know. The promise of heaven. Dave Hunt once wrote a book, Whatever Happened to Heaven? Whatever uh, happened to being homesick? Where we look at this world and like Ezekiel, we go, can I go home now? And the Lord, in comforting them, he says, look, I have a place that I've been working on just for you. And that's where your heart needs to be. And you need, you need to pray, thy kingdom come, and really mean it. And thy will be done, not my kingdom come, and I want all my eggs in a basket here. No, you can't take it with you. Debbie Reynolds died this week, her daughter the day before. I found that very interesting. And as I was reading about it, her life's goal was to accumulate as much of Hollywood memorabilia that she could. And they were going to have an auction, so she went in and gave them a flat price for the whole thing, and they turned her down. So what she did is she went to every auction. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. And she bought the whole thing anyway. And... Um, All that to say this, I love Debbie Reynolds because the first song I ever heard was Tammy when I was six years old. And it struck me to the heart and I cried like a baby and I didn't even know why I was crying. I never heard that song before. So don't get me wrong, but if if you're ignorant of the ways of the Lord, the Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge of my word. All she knew was Hollywood her whole life. And so what did she want? She, can't, she didn't take any of that with her. It's all left behind. I pray and hope somehow both of them made it. That's my prayer. 
Because like the Lord, I'm willing that none should perish. But the fact of the matter is, like Ezekiel tells us, um, a righteous king is going to come and um, the crown is going to be given to him. That's looking ahead. And we're to pray. As the last couple verses of the Bible says, let the spirit and the bride say come. So as we enter into 2017, I hope you're looking ahead towards that. And like Paul said, those things that happened, says forgetting those things that are past, looking ahead. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word as we make our way through Ezekiel. And Lord, we stumble across this treasure of seeing that you've had it with with the world and its kings and you've taken their crown and you're keeping it and you're going to give it to the only one who's worthy. So Lord, as we enter into 2017, um, we pray that you'd help us with our devotional time. We pray that we would prioritize you above family and friends and finances and and sports or whatever our idol might be, that you would be in first place. And Lord, we we need help in this area because the world has so much that it's throwing at us. So we pray that you'd keep us, and we thank you that you've kept us. In Jesus' name, amen.